choir. Turn with me, please, this morning to Romans chapter 16, your New Testament scriptures. have the privilege of opening God's word with you one more time. You all already know I get emotional, so we'll see how this goes. Um, I didn't put any tissues in my pocket. I just brought the whole box, so <laughs> we're prepared. Romans 16, beginning at verse 25 and reading through verse 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel... The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's right, I almost forgot to do the response. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your great grace. Thank you again for your word, and thank you for the beauty of Christ that shines through it all. Help us to see that and consider that once again together, and then lead forward into the history of the church to provide uh, preachers over the next few months and a new pastor soon. May that be a short, quick, painless process, and may it be for the good of the church leading them forward Uh, into green pastures and good days ahead. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, and thank you for your word, which we have considered together so often and loved, and I pray that you continue to help us be doers of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said a few months ago, when we finished the sermon series on Romans, I said these three verses could be their own sermon. At the time, we just tacked them on to verses 17 through 23. Well, Today it will get to be the standalone text. I think the ideas here really capture some of the things that I'd like to say this morning. However, it is going to sound a little different from uh, my usual sermons. I, I was just wrestling for weeks. Okay, what do you say on your last time together? And just to go through you know, a normal exegesis, explaining the text and applying it, it would be profitable. It just wouldn't seem quite right. I, I did want to take the opportunity uh, to, to express some things that I'm thankful for, uh, to express some big ideas that I think are good for us as a congregation to remember, and just to give some parting encouragements and final thoughts uh, to you this morning. So in all honesty, this is one of those, I know what I want to say, now where's the text that will let me say it, okay? And, and some of you probably have that in your background and didn't enjoy it. I never did that until today. So you can forgive me this one instance, but we're going to look at Romans 16. That'll that'll shape these final thoughts that I want to leave with you. So here they are, final thoughts on the greatness of the gospel. And the first would be this, that the gospel produces gratitude and praise. So Paul concludes Romans, and we went through it over the last year or so. It's this long benediction that ends in doxology. And so you see the benediction in those opening words. Now, to him who is able 
to establish you. So at the end of our services, when I conclude with a benediction, I've always given those, and it's in our tradition to give those, because we view it as God dismissing the congregation with his blessing. So there's a lot of different places in the Bible where those blessings come out. You know, God is able to do this for you. And so as, as one preaching the word, as one ministering the word, uh, we want to send you out with God's blessing and dismiss you in that way. And so you see that right here in this text, that God is able to establish you. There, there's one of the ways God blesses us through the gospel. And then we also see a reference to doxology in the words, now to him. And then at the end, verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, so Paul is saying, here's what God is able to do for you. He's, he's blessing the congregation, so to speak. But then it turns into doxology, glory to God for what he is able to do. And so my point here is Paul's given this long consideration of the gospel. He's unpacked it, 16 chapters. He's applied it. And what does it lead him to do? It leads him to end with praise and thanksgiving to God. And so I do want to, after serving with you in the gospel for several years, you know, recount some things that I'm thankful uh, to God for. One of my first messages here was from this text, Romans 16. It was gospel-centered ministry. I, I've endeavored over the years to put before us the good news of Jesus Christ and apply that to our lives. And so there are things I am thankful for that God has done through that work. And I, and I just want to rehearse some of them for you. And I think there are things that we'll all rejoice together in. So I think if we look around over the past eight years, we can see the evident work of the gospel. God has worked in our church. We've had several people over the years confess their faith and be added to the church. That, that includes both of my children who confess their faith in this church. I've had the privilege of baptizing several people in this room. That's both children and adults. We've seen God bring new people. To our church. We've seen God build up our numbers. And I, I always try to think through that in a balanced way. I didn't want to get too caught up in numbers. It always bothered me uh, when preachers or pastors would complain about crowd sizes. It always struck me as, why are you complaining about the crowd size to the people who are there? You know, call the people who aren't there and complain to them. So I never want to get too caught up in numbers. At the same time, if people leave, that's discouraging. If, if, if you see your numbers shrinking or you come and there's not many people there, you know, that can be a bother. So I want to give thanks to God, I think we all should, that we've seen God add to our congregation over the years. Without getting overdoing it on the numbers, we have seen God add and we are thankful. We have good attendance when we get together. Uh, we, we had great times on Sunday evening and on the Wednesday Bible studies that we used to do. And, and that, was, that was a blessing to, to have people gather to hear the word. And not only that, but many of you contribute not simply by being here, but by using your spiritual gifts. There's a lot of different works that go on in this congregation, and we accomplish a lot for our church our size uh, because of the contributions that many of you make. And, and just know that's something I'm genuinely grateful for. I think it was one of my first general assemblies. Another, I asked another pastor about his church, and he goes, oh, they punch above their weight class. And I thought that is a great way to describe Roebuck. 
If you think, oh, look at a church that size, look at a church that location, you know, maybe they accomplished this. But, but I think we accomplished more than you might expect from a church of our size and our location. And that is something that it's appropriate for a pastor and elders and everybody together just to give thanks to God for. And on that same note, I, I thank God, as I have often week in and week out, uh, thank God for our material provisions here. When we take offerings, I thank God for that. And, you know, again, without overdoing it on the numbers, talking about money, I don't think we've had to worry a lot about money over the past few years. We've paid the bills. We've done a lot of projects. That is God's provision. Giving is a part of gospel charity. God has been pleased to provide, and we haven't had to stress and worry about that over the years here. Or at least I haven't. That's kind of the deacon's thing, so maybe they just protected me from worry. But I think when we look at what we've been able to do, God has been very generous, and I thank him for that. I have seen God lead our congregation. So I've seen the Spirit of God do things through the work of the ministry here. There are times when I would go into session meetings, and there were a few things I had on my mind, things I was interested in, or things that I thought would be good for our congregation. On more than one occasion, another elder would suggest those things. I even kept a journal of them in my personal reflections where an idea that I thought was good, somebody else would bring up without me having it mentioned to them or tried to work that out. They would bring that up. I, I think that's evidence of God leading. You think the Old Testament, you know, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, God going in front of you. That's God working through the means that he's developed for the good of the church. As elders, we've been able to think about how we do ministry. Why we do what we do. We've tried to make improvements to our worship and to our activities as a church. And sometimes that's a stretching time to think intentionally about what you do and why you do it. And we've seen God answer some prayers and I think do some good things in that area. We had to navigate the unprecedented months of COVID together. Not a fun time, a historical occasion. But we navigated it and here we are together, intact as a church and a congregation, and I'm really thankful for that. And I'm just thankful, too, for the personal love and, okay, here they come, uh, for the personal love and encouragement of other Christians. So my family has experienced that, their love from a lot of people. I've been encouraged and blessed at times uh, through personal conversations with many of you. You've been gracious to me. You've been kind to me. You've helped me think in a healthy way about how I use my time and how I handle expectations as a pastor. So when I talk to some pastor friends, you know, the, the burdens that are on their time or the expectations they deal with or that their family deals with, that, that's been very low level here. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Aspects of that have been very low stress, and that is something I've shared with others, and that is something I'm very grateful for. So I'm just thankful for what God has done through all of us and the privilege of serving you these years, even that you extended that call eight years ago. I did the math. When you issued the call, I was 33. That suddenly seems really young. <laughs> I had been an assistant pastor, never a head pastor, so never a senior or a solo pastor, and you gave me a chance, and I'm thankful. I think God has done some really good things. Been good experiences, a lot I've learned, and I'm grateful. So that's just a sample. I mean, there's Things I could add to that. But that is the work of the gospel that Paul celebrates and that we 2,000 years later celebrate as well. 
So two, let's think about this. The gospel focuses our attention on what matters most. So follow the flow of thought in verses 25 to 26. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Here's what Paul is saying. He is claiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the revelation of the Old Testament prophetic writings. So the gospel is what the Old Testament anticipated. The Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the gospel. Now I want you to think about what a bold claim that is for Paul. One that he would not have made had he not believed that Christ was risen from the dead and had been revealed to him on the road to Damascus. I want you to think about all the Old Testament laws. I want you to think about all the Old Testament stories and the kings and the judges and on and on. I want you to think of all the various proverbs or the book of Job or the way the author of Ecclesiastes wrestles with wisdom. I want you to think about all the prophets proclaimed and foretold. Paul takes it all, all the diversity, all the variety of genres, all the time that it covers, and Paul says it all anticipates the gospel. It all culminates in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a bold claim, but it's a claim grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what Christ himself taught. He took all that material and he swept it together into a unified whole and a unified story around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I think that is very instructive for us as a church. And so as a parting word, as a final exhortation, I would give this to us as a church. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ and on the good news that is connected to him. Keep your eyes on how everything in the Bible moves towards that. And let everything you do as a church be grounded in that. Do not let anything distract you from your message or your mission. And our message is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the mission is to bring people to embrace that good news. To experience the transformation that comes from being a new creation in Christ. And then to bear the fruit of God's kingdom people. As the word lays down and as God sends us back into his world to do good works and to renew his world. Do not let anything distract you from that. So do not let what goes on in the culture or culture wars distract you from either what God does through the church or how God does it. The preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel. Keep in mind, Paul wrote this letter to Rome, not a very good place, and his weapon of warfare was the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything distract you from that. Don't even let denominational conflicts trick you into thinking that what matters is how people approach disputed issues. There are important things to discuss as Presbyterians, but don't ever think, okay, settling those and joining camps on those and identifying with certain movements there, that's what we need to be all about as a church. That's not the main mission of the church. 
So don't let litmus tests or other things be added to what God says, this is what my people are all about. And if you say, well, why do you care about that? Well, why is that such a big deal? Because the gospel gives life and nothing else. Only the good news of God through Christ and the word gives new life. And so from my first days with you until now, I wanted you to know that good news. And I wanted you to enjoy that good news. And I would never want anything to get in the way of that. So keep the main mission and the main message always in focus and in front of you. And then thirdly, lastly, the gospel makes us strong in the faith. This is, again, that benediction aspect. Paul says in verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you, in accordance with my gospel. And I said this the last time we were in this passage, but I'll say it one more time. That word establish, it means to cause to be inwardly firm, to cause one to be committed. So Paul's point is the gospel not only brings you to faith, to obey the faith, it also makes you strong in the faith. So the good news of God enables you to persevere and salvation. And so I just wanted to leave you with some encouragements this morning. I think that would strengthen your faith. If, if anything else, I would want to leave you with an encouraging tone. I, I have always taken that tone in my sermons. That's just part of how God has gifted me and shaped me to be a pastor. So I would want to leave you with here's some big truths that have comforted me. I think they will comfort you. I, I, sometimes these are the truths that come to mind. When you talk to me and tell me what's on your mind, these are the truths that I think would be encouraging. So in no particular order, here they are. I have 17. I'm kidding. That's, I'm not that much of a, of a Puritan. I've got five, okay? And in no particular order, just truths I believe, I leave you for your encouragement. One, knowing, loving, and serving God is the good life. So Psalm 1, how blessed is the one who walks, you know, in the way of the Lord. Doesn't walk in the way of transgressors, but delights himself in the law of the Lord. We we could even translate that somewhat loosely as, you know, that's the good life. How good is the life? How enviable is the person who avoids the wicked and walks in the way of the Lord. I became a Christian in high school. One of my first sermons here was on a Sunday night to give my testimony how I became a Christian, I became a Christian in high school. I experienced the call to the ministry shortly thereafter. And since then, I've had the privilege of knowing God, serving him, and even being involved somewhat in a ministry. I've served in various churches over the years. And after all these years, I still believe that putting God first in your life, following the lordship of Jesus Christ, is the best thing you can do with your life. And I would plead with all of you, wherever you are in life, to do that. It, it does not mean that things are always smooth, and I don't, don't mean that only with reference to conflict with unbelievers. There's times I've been around churches and Christians where it was a rough experience. They didn't always well represent Jesus and his good news. But God is good, and Jesus Christ is good, and the fellowship and communion of the saints is good, and following him is good even when it stretches and so I would commend that to you as, as, a, as a course of life uh, that is worth following. Two, kind of along the same lines, I would say you can trust God with your future. 
So when I look back on the years of ministry that I've been in, which, which aren't that long, but they've taken twists and turns I didn't always foresee or expect, but along the way, God was good. And so whatever is in front of you personally, or whatever is in front of you as a church, you can trust God with it. You can be young, you can be old. There can be a lot of future left, or there can be a little bit. We don't know how long you can trust God with your future. And why? Is that just something we say to make us feel good? No, because he has eternal purposes to bring his purpose to, be, to, to pass, to bring his kingdom, to let his kingdom come for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, as we reflected often in the Gospels, maybe the way that happens isn't what we expect. And so difference can be scary. Change can be scary. Yes, there can be hard times. But God's purposes do not have an expiration date. So the God of the past is the God of the future. So when you look around and see what you see, trust God with your future. And, and you don't have to be you know, a bubbly. Somebody once said I had a bubbly personality. I, I don't know if that was a compliment or not. Okay, you, you don't have to be as effervescent and animated as I or other people are. But I think we should be joyful. And I think Christians should be hopeful. And I think we should be encouraged. And so I say that not so much as an exhortation as just a take comfort. When you're nervous, when you're worried, you can... Trust God with your future. And maybe you did that and you experienced disappointment. Maybe you did that and you experienced pain. He is a God who can hear that from you. You can cast that care on him and he will care for you. And he will carry you into the future and make you the person he wants you to be. Which leads to the third idea. Grace can change people. Now, this is the one where it takes a lot of faith. Maybe we don't see this as much as we'd like. But God is a sanctifying God. He transforms people into new creations. And so why, why would I leave that for your encouragement? I know many of you have family that you're concerned about. And I would just encourage you, keep praying for them. Do not give up hope for their souls. Pray for God to be merciful to them. And you be merciful to them. You, you be the agent of good that comes into your, their life. And maybe for some of you, you're looking at your own life and you see areas where you want to be different, where you want to be better. You can become the person God wants you to be. His grace is powerful and it is never too late to start. So don't be afraid of change in your life and trust God and his grace to produce it. Which leads me to the fourth idea. God's grace is sufficient for every need. And one of my favorite Bible verses has become 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. We've had good times together as a church. We're going to laugh some tonight and have an enjoyable time of fellowship. We have also had times of sorrow, as many of you know. God's presence in those times of suffering has been real and it has been powerful and i trust you've known god's comfort and grace and sufficient grace to every one of you so when you hit those trials and hard times the thorns in the flesh god's grace is sufficient don't run from him draw near to him don't try to carry that on your own cry out to him cling to him draw to him and you will know his love, which is the final big idea I would simply leave you with, is that God 
loves you. It's a simple truth. It almost feels trite to say it that way, doesn't it? Oh, God loves you. We just say that all the time. I think it's trite because maybe we forget how powerful it is. What is the best-known Bible verse? John 3, 16. God so loved the world. What's one of the first songs that parents teach their kids? Jesus loves me. This I know. 1 John 4, 16 states simply, God is love. And sometimes you just need to remember, God loves you. And he loved you before you did anything for him. Before you could give him anything or do anything for him, he loved you. And you need to rest in that love. You need to find security and satisfaction in that love. That love is what transforms you into a new creation and a loving person. And you can lose things in this life. Your circumstances can change. God's love, God's care, God's grace doesn't. And that is a better anchor than anything else. So take those truths with you and keep seeking the Lord and God, let's trust him to be at work. Pray with me, friends. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us, for Jesus, that you laid down your life and took it up again, raised by your Father. Spirit of God, thank you for giving us new life and for being sufficient in your grace towards us. Triune God, we, we seek you. We, our lives are in your hands. The well-being of our church is in your hands. And we look to you and your grace to do great things for us and into the future. Help us to follow you, submit to you, love you, trust you. And may your goodness and your grace go with us and provide every need, transform us, and do for us exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Once again, we pray, take your word and bring forth good fruit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we come to the Lord's table, let's sing hymn 689, Be Still My Soul. We'll stand and sing the first three verses while the elders make ready the table. 689.